see this yesterday? Did, did I miss something? So we were on the road. We went down to Georgia yesterday and we came back. So I'm, I'm sort of out of pocket. And it seems like there was a bombshell yesterday that virtually no one picked up on. So we're going to talk about that tonight. Late Kick is live. We're jam-packed. High atop a chilly downtown Nashville, Tennessee, Thursday night, February 29th. Decided to have one of those this year, the year of our Lord, 2024. Kirby Smart is on the show tonight. We're going to go about 25 or 30 minutes with him. Uh, we got great stuff from him yesterday. Pretty brutally honest about many, many things within Georgia football and college football. Got him to talk about Nick Saban and a number of things that you'll want to hear. So stay tuned. Kirby Smart coming up on the back half of the show. There is a college football eruption imminent on multiple fronts, and I'm going to lead the show with that. I got head coaches under pressure to talk about, some in terms of job security, others just in terms of good old-fashioned competitive pressure. No one's maybe at risk of losing their job, but still you're going to learn a lot about them this year. I got all kinds of different things to talk about on that front. FanDuel has been nice enough to release conference championship odds. We have got a jam-packed show. They literally had to put an extra day in this month. That's how jam-packed the show is tonight. They're watching us in Titusville, Florida, St. Louis, Missouri, Saratoga Springs, Utah, and Dalton, Georgia. I cannot stress in strong enough terms how important it is to be following on the socials at Late Kick Josh. I mean, we were behind the scenes at Georgia yesterday. I'm going to... I don't know how many, it, well into the double digits numbers of schools that we'll be at over the next month doing the Pate State Speaker Series. Georgia kicks us off tonight, and we'll be all over the country. Some of our live shows are going to be on the road at various places, and um, I always get you some good stuff, and that's going to be no different over the next month. But in the meantime, I don't know if I could call this good stuff, but it is stuff, and some of you have been rooting for this, and now it's here, and now you're saying, whoa, 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 wait a second. Okay, so... Um, Colin, no endpoint yet. I, I got to make sure I frame this up right. You know what, Colin? Never mind. Let's just do the endpoint here. So the whole college football playoff thing is just in a blender right now, is it not? Have you seen these headlines? I think the answer may be yes, but I don't know if everyone's been reading these articles. I, I really think we may live in a world now where a lot of folks are living off tweets and sound bites and snapshots sounds like a political race, but that's actually what the college football playoff thing has turned into. So I'm on the road yesterday, and the folks over at ESPN.com put out a piece, and Ross Dellinger's been all over this, and I'm going to mention both of those respective outlets in just a moment. But guys, a bombshell dropped yesterday, and as far as I can tell, it did not generate a fraction of the shockwave that it should have. So to get you up to speed... You're probably up to speed right now. You know a bunch of people in suits have been meeting about expanding the playoff or reshaping the playoff, remodeling it, and then all the while in this other back corner of that room, you've got talks about conference realignment and where's Florida State going to be tomorrow and is Clemson going to follow them. And then over here in the other corner, you got the NCAA being defeated in court nine ways from Sunday. And so it's just a little hurricane in the room right now. But at the forefront of the average fan's mind is not NIL. And it's not conference realignment. You want to know about your playoff. Fair enough. So we've talked on the show at great length about how I think maybe things aren't quite as they appear. And last show that we did, last Sunday, we talked at length, you and I, about how I believed there was a different proposal that was really in the minds of the SEC and the Big Ten. And you can go back and listen to that show if you missed it. So now that I've got you up to speed, 
Yesterday, as I'm on the road driving back from Athens up here to Nashville, just what should have been a tsunami-generating bombshell drops, and it's like the 16th paragraph in an article over on ESPN.com. So Director Collins got it on a quote board for you, and if you're listening on podcast, I'm going to do this nice and slow so everyone picks up what I'm putting down. This is from an article on ESPN.com yesterday. One high-ranking official involved in the discussions told ESPN on Wednesday, the presidents and chancellors in both the SEC and Big Ten are having conversations about whether to continue their NCAA membership. It's a move that would impact and could possibly derail any TV agreement. Quote, those are conversations that are happening, the source said, adding that some feel, quote, pretty strongly about pulling away, I'd say very strongly, unquote. Do you understand the words you just listened to or read? Do you have any idea what that means? That it made it into an ESPN.com article means it's absolutely been discussed behind the scenes. Now, I'm not going to pretend like I haven't heard that. You're probably not even going to pretend like you've never heard that, but where have we heard it? You've heard it on message boards. You may have heard it on talk radio. You may have heard it when you and your buddy were hanging out at the gym between sets and you were just kind of throwing out these hypotheticals. You haven't heard ADs and university presidents talk about it, but now you kind of have. And it wasn't singular. Notice that reference was in the plural. Do you know what that means? Do you know what it means that that's been discussed and it's being heavily considered? Do you know what it would do for any or both of those entities to pull away? from the NCAA entirely, it would quite literally turn the world as you know it in collegiate athletics upside down to the point where they may not be called collegiate athletics anymore. So with that in mind, with that in mind, now I want to hit fast forward 24 hours to today when this afternoon Yahoo's Ross Dellinger, who's been all over this, puts out a piece of his own. And I'm going to read you two excerpts from it. And as I do this, I want you to keep what I just said framed in your mind as the backdrop. Okay, so you got the SEC and the Big Ten just considering whether they even want to be in the NCAA anymore, period, if they can't get their way on this. So Ross Dellinger comes out today, and this is from the Ross Dellinger piece. In the Now, let me frame this up. You know what? Before I read it, okay, uh, what he's talking about here is there is a proposal from all those meetings they had last week. There is a playoff proposal that's circulating. Uh, They call it socializing it because we can't just use normal words. So what they did is they sketched out a little map of what they may want to do, and they sent it off to a bunch of ADs and whatnot. And, of course, that leaks very quickly um, to people so it can be reported. This is from that piece. Because in this piece, and I'm not kidding when I say this, the proposal includes the SEC and the Big Ten getting the guaranteed first-round buys in every playoff every year. And if that's not crazy enough, listen to the follow-up. Quote, in the 14-team version circulating across the country, the ACC and the Big 12, the other two major conferences, would not have access to obtaining a buy. An unprecedented move and perhaps a tipping point for some administrators in those leagues. Now you just go down a little ways in that same article, and Ross Dellinger continues. There is much tension and consternation around the situation. There is an urgency, too. College football playoff leaders are in a race against time to agree to several unresolved issues before extending their new television contract with ESPN. 
before the current contract ends after the 2025 playoffs. So you could be in the weeds right now. And here we are. It's Thursday. It's February 29th. And you could wonder, oh, what's going to happen on Friday, March 1st? What's going to happen next Monday or two weeks from now? I think you'd be better served to just zoom out a little bit right now and zoom out and ask yourself, what have the constants always been in this equation? The constants have always been and will continue to always be SEC's getting bigger and more powerful by the day. Big Ten's getting bigger and more powerful by the day. More and more people in these conversations care less and less about the overall integrity of this sport and tradition, pageantry, and what it has been. They couldn't care less about the player. No matter what they say, they care about bottom line. Those have been constants, right? No matter which articles come out from which scribe, those things have been constants. So with that in mind, the question is being asked from every mountaintop, how's this going to get sorted out in time? Well, there are a couple of possibilities. Maybe everyone caves. Maybe the SEC and the Big Ten do swing a big enough stick that it scares everyone, and maybe everyone caves. And you know what? If you make insane demands and everyone caves to it, you go, <laughs> didn't expect that, but good for us. We got our way. That could happen. Um, it could be an Overton window strategy, really, really hard bargaining technique to really bring the conversation where you always thought it was going to end up. And that's, well, we asked for the extreme and you're not going to agree to that, but really we got what we wanted when you agreed to this instead. Could be that. Could be that happens all the time in negotiations. But I do have my mind somewhere else tonight. And if you remember the conversation the other night I had with you, where I told you, I think there are entirely different proposals that the SEC and the Big Ten have in mind that they'd much prefer. And if you listen to the leverage play that was baked into that article on ESPN.com yesterday where they're outright prepared to threaten to leave the NCAA, let's ask the question again. How will all this get sorted out, people want to know? Maybe it won't. Maybe we'll come to an impasse. Maybe it doesn't get decided by the deadline. Maybe the SEC and the Big Ten look you across the table and say the two most important words that I think they're trying to get to all the while, and that is, we tried. We tried. You've probably done this before. Admittedly, I've done this before. Someone out there is doing it right now. Someone out there, uh, you could be in a situation, you could be in a situation where she hates warm weather, her entire family lives in South Florida. Those are non-starters. And you tell her, babe, we're moving to Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And she says no. And you say, well, I tried. I tried. It's like looking the ACC across the room and saying, um, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to get a guaranteed buy. You will never be able to get one. What do you think? No? Well, we tried. I'm not so sure that may not be where we're headed. I'm not so sure that wasn't the design all along. You can look like a complete jerk and never negotiate, or you could negotiate in bad faith and then use we tried and then go the direction you were always going to go anyway. Here's what I know. The SEC and the Big Ten don't need the rest of the folks in that room. They do under the current construct. There is a new construct and a whole new world that could exist that they know they could build with the appropriate television partnership, and they don't really need everyone else in that room. It's the kind of room that is at the bottom of every slippery slope that folks like me wanted to avoid because that's always where this sort of mess ends up, but we're on it now. And so I really wonder, 
have those meetings in those rooms been done in good faith to begin with? Or could you have a couple of leagues with disproportionate amounts of power now, only standing to gain more power as they restructure further, which, believe me, is coming in the very near future? And could you have a situation where the SEC and Big Ten have looked around and realized what is painfully obvious, and that is, uh, we had a couple more of these teams all the big boys are with us anyway. Most of them are as is, and especially will be in the future. Notre Dame, you can do whatever you want to do, but in the future, uh, does anyone really care if we don't include the teams from the Big 12? If they don't want to play ball with us? An FSU, Clemson, Miami, North Carolina-less ACC, does anyone really care about that? Uh, it's heartless. It sucks. It's not the nature of college football I love, nor is it the one most of you love, but it could very well be the road we're going down. Because those words that matter to us don't necessarily matter to the folks in the room. Just a little question here as we move on. When is the last time, if you could be a fly on the wall in these rooms, when's the last time you think anyone in those rooms asked what's in the best interest of the players? When do you think anyone in those rooms has mentioned the best interest of the fan? I know that sounds like a five-year-old's question. It's very sunshine and rainbowish. It's very idealistic. It's actually what the sport's about. It's actually what it's built on. It doesn't exist. All those zeros on the ends of those deals, they don't exist without you. When's the last time you think they thought about you? Much less me. When's the last time you think they thought about us? <sighs> we move on. We move on. This show will get much happier from here, believe me. Conference championship odds have been released. Our friends at FanDuel have rung the bell. They've sent up the bat signal. And we have answered. Because we got odds on all the major conferences now. And I want to start with the Big Ten because this one is the one where I wondered, okay, are we going to put Ohio State at the top of these odds? Well, the answer is yes. Ohio State currently the FanDuel betting favorite to win the Big Ten this upcoming year. But who was number two going to be? And it's pretty clear. It's Oregon at plus 250 and then Michigan and Penn State. Okay, so now if you're listening on podcast, I'm going to do my best to frame this up. Michigan's plus 460, uh, Penn State plus 600. So then remember last month when we did the tier of programs in the Big Ten. And I got a lot of pushback because I said I didn't think that USC was in Tier 1. Now, this is not apples to apples to that, but in terms of odds this year, there is a huge shelf. There's a drop-off in the Big Ten after the top four, and then USC has the fifth best odds to win the conference, but they're all the way down at plus 2,300. And so that's huge disparity in odds top four group of you know group of group of four in the in the tier one and then everyone else um we're going to talk about Lincoln Riley and USC a little bit later on but it's just I always wonder in the big 10 it's been this way for a while where is that drop off and it looks like odds makers have that drop off before you get to USC and what about the ACC this time last year when these odds got released the biggest takeaway was wow for the first time Someone's got the same odds as Clemson does. And that's the case again this year, only it may surprise you in the opposite direction. I think there probably is a sizable portion of the college football public that expects Florida State to be the prohibitive favorite in this conference. Well, that may be the case in preview magazine season. That is not the case in the desert because Clemson and Florida State, yet again, have the same odds. It's Miami behind them at plus 450, then Louisville at plus 470, and that's the drop-off in the ACC because you got to go down to plus 14 and plus 1,600 odds, respectively, to get NC State and SMU in there. How about North Carolina? All the way down there at plus 2,200. Very, very uncertain eh, immediate future 
for that program. And you've, of course, you're going to have the question about Mac Brown every year. Um, I don't, I won't say it's an unfair question. It's just, I mean, people want to know as you get up there in age a little bit, um, you, you had Drake May there and uh, by all accounts, probably underachieved by having that kind of talent there. And now he's gone. And is the rest of your roster special? You got to change it. Defensive coordinator as well. So they're at plus 2,200. But um, the other school I wanted to look for, Virginia Tech got better odds right now than North Carolina. Virginia Tech at plus 2,000. The SEC has some very, very notable odds at the top of the board. Georgia is going to be number one. Texas is going to be number two. Ole Miss has the third best odds to win the SEC at plus 650. And then it's LSU and Bama with the same odds in the four and five position at plus 950. And I need to remind you this upcoming year, there are no divisions. So it's just we play the schedule and we take the best two and put them in Atlanta. So this is not like it used to be where Kentucky or or South Carolina may have a little bit inflated odds because they're in a more winnable conference, whereas the SEC West was going to be a little bit deeper. It's not that way anymore. So it's just straight up odds to win the conference. Tennessee's down there at plus 1,100. I'll tell you, the other thing that stood out to me was Oklahoma's all the way down at plus 4,000. That's the ninth best odds to win the conference. Texas comes in there with the second best odds. That's going to change, uh, but I can assure you Oklahoma's not going to overtake Texas in the odds market. Now, it didn't matter last year in the Big 12 because they beat them on the field, and Texas ended up winning the conference anyway. So let's keep an eye on that. Which one do you think fluctuates, by the way? I think Missouri money is going to come in. That's just me personally. In the Big 12, this one's got the makings of the most insane conference race in all of college football this upcoming year. You saw the rest of the conferences I showed you where there is a top three or top four, and then there's a big drop-off. Here, you got to go 10 teams deep before you get to the real big drop-off. I'm going to read them in order. Utah, Kansas State, Kansas, Arizona, Texas Tech, UCF, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, TCU, West Virginia. They've all got odds, plus 1,900 or better. Then there's a drop-off. Then you get to your Colorados and your Baylors and your Cincinnati's. Uh, Houston with the worst odds in the conference and uh, new coaching staff there. That one right there, that, that conference, you can look at one of two ways. You could either look at it and say, well, there's no true tier one big dog in that conference. Okay, maybe you're right. Or you could look at it and say, well, hey, relative to what everyone else has, everything looks competitive. Everything looks parity driven. What people want college football to be, and it never will be, they could actually get if they just watched the Big 12 this year. Because that right there, there is no massive have. And there is no huge group of massive have-nots. That conference is about as equitably built in terms of resource and recruiting advantage as you could build a conference. Sure, if you're located in Houston, Texas, you do have an edge on someone located in Ames, Iowa when it comes to talent acquisition. But I would argue a lot of the WAC used to have an edge on Boise State, and they still found a way to dominate the conference. It wasn't just because of the color of their football field anyway. Utah, should be noted, has entered the Big 12 and immediately grabbed the number one position in the odds market. Now, it's close. Kansas State's right there neck and neck with them, but Utah is not to be, not to be messed with, not to be trifled with, if you will, as they walk into the conference. Conference odds. Oh, it's that time of year again. Or as you might call it, late February. Got Kirby Smart on the show uh, mere moments from now. 
Rock Hill, South Carolina is tuned in. Meridian, Mississippi is watching us. Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Got a couple of things I want to talk to you about, and then we'll get to Kirby. I don't care who you're a fan of. What he brings to that show tonight, or this show tonight, you're going to like. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Which head coaches are under pressure? I had someone ask me about this, and I figured, you know, it's not too early to talk about this. The college football head coaches that will have the toughest expectations going into next season, that's what we got asked from uh, that old Smokey in Knoxville, Tennessee. I think Billy Napier clearly belongs in this category. Billy Napier has had two straight losing seasons to start his tenure at Florida. Um, The thing that I think is most concerning outside of just the record is the characteristics that you would hope a Billy Napier-led program has, Florida hasn't exhibited yet. Uh, Really really just being ratcheted up, being disciplined, being a really good program that even if they're not out-talenting you, they are not costing themselves ballgames. Well, that's happened at Florida. Uh, Special teams has been nothing to write home about procedural issues week after week. I am not of the opinion that it's terminally flawed because I think Napier is a really good coach. I also think that in college football sometimes you can get a really well-built vehicle off in a ditch and it can't get traction. And this is going to be a very challenging year for them because they've got the toughest schedule in college football. They're over under win totals five and a half and no one cares how hard it is. They're not going to care. This is going to be a classic you are what your record says you are sort of mentality that the fan base has and that college football at large will have uh, when it comes to Billy Napier in Florida. And for that reason, I think he's under incredible pressure this year. Lincoln Riley at USC, I think, is under a different kind of pressure. So I, I've got two kind of pressures I talk about. I talk about job security pressure, which is you win or you're out. And then there's competitive pressure, which is my job's not in jeopardy, but people expect something from me. I expect something from myself. And for whatever reasons, we're not achieving at that level right now. Lincoln Riley, in his, in his years at Oklahoma, 12 wins, 12 wins, 12 wins, won nine games in the COVID year and then 10 wins. He was 74 and 18 there. Comes to USC year one, wins 11 games, and there's a widely held belief that he's off to the races out there. And then they go eight and five last year. He lost 
almost half as many games last year as he did his entire time at Oklahoma. And then comes the reset button. One of the things I'm most excited to watch and talk about in college football this year is the attempted reset at USC. Because there are some folks out there that will swear to you he can't do it. He cannot do it. You can talk about it, but he is who he is. His DNA is what it is. Then there are other folks who say, no, he can do it. I mean, he's not too, he's not too old to evolve. You're never too old to evolve. Also, there are some people who just want to sit there and wait and see. That's me. Uh, he's, he's 74 and 18 in his entire career. You know Jesse got in the prompter, which we never use. There are three teleprompters in here, and we never use them. And he just used them to uh, correct me on a stat. So Lincoln Riley, just for the record, 74 and 18 in his career. He was 55 and 10 at Oklahoma. Golf clap for producer Jesse. So Lincoln Riley this year hit the reset button. Hit the reset button in terms of staff, but also hit the reset button in terms of his stated philosophy on his program, which of course is words. I've talked about this many times. So now we start to get seeing it implemented and, and implemented in spring, but really implemented in the fall. If they go 8-5 and five again in their first year in the Big Ten, Lincoln Riley's not getting fired or anything like that. But there will be people who start to redefine how they think about him. Some already have. I don't think that would be unfair. Now, I told you the other day, I'm going to have a very, very warped perspective on him this year because even though he's been a head coach many years, and even though this is his third year at USC, he is changing or he is alleging to be changing what he is and what his program is at its core. So if that's the case, I'm going to look at him as a first-year head coach, but you're not going to look at him that way, which is totally cool, especially if you're a USC fan, you're not going to look at him that way. For my purposes, I'm going to look at him that way. So if he goes 8-5 and five this year, for me, I'm going to say, all right, we'll see how he does next year. If he goes 8-5 and five for you out there and you live in Santa Monica, you're going to say, no, we can't have this, which I get. What about Dabo? Another example of competitive pressure. No hot seat here for Dabo Swinney either. Competitive pressure in that he had 12 straight double-digit win seasons at Clemson before they only, only went 9-4 and four last year. But you know what you were looking at was not vintage Clemson. You know what you were looking at in the wide receiver position was not nearly what they have once put on the field. You know what you're looking at in talent acquisition isn't all they could be because they forego using things that other programs use like the transfer portal. So internally, I don't think they should care about what I'm about to say. But externally, a lot of how they're perceived at the end of this year will depend on what Florida State does, what Miami does, other folks in that conference. Because there's one world where Clemson goes 10-2, and two, but they win the ACC. So I guess maybe 10-3 and three or 11-2. and two. There's another world where they could also go 10-2, and two, but the two losses are to, like, Florida State and like South Carolina at the end of the year and FSU goes undefeated and they play Miami in the ACC championship game and Clemson's not even there. Same record, roughly, but because your competition lapped you again and especially if it's Florida State who has used the portal again to their advantage and your detriment, perception would be totally different. That creates pressure, a lot of it. Clemson and Florida State, for the record, co-favorites right now in late February to win the ACC. I think Dave Aranda at Baylor is under tremendous pressure. It felt like he may have lost his job last year and he did not, uh, but this hurts. This hurts because when I look at his career there, 
He went two and seven in, in the COVID year. That's his first year. Then he went 12 and two. They won the Big 12 championship. I was sucked in. They have gone six and seven and three and nine since. And I, uh, I, could, I, I could explain it to you. I could make excuses, but that wouldn't be fair because I would not afford people I didn't like as much the same luxury as I would afford Dave Aranda, who I happen to like a whole lot. So he brought in Jake Spavadol as the OC, and then he got two coaches yanked right from under him at the 11th hour because Kalen DeBoer came to Alabama. So Christian Robinson just left. Uh, the offensive line coach just left, who he had just hired. And you're also having to overhaul offensively anyway. There's a question as to whether the personnel they have in-house matches what Spavadol will want to do. There's not a lot of runway. It doesn't get to be a two- or three-year experiment. They've got to win this year. They're over under win totals, same as Florida. It's five and a half. And they open with Tarleton State. So at least that's good news. But that uh, Big 12 schedule did not get any easier this year because while you do have OU and Texas walk out, they got back-to-back road games at Iowa State, Texas Tech. They've got another pair of back-to-back road games towards the end. They go to Utah as their first conference game this year. So it's going to be uh, potentially a tough year in Waco. And then at last but not least, Ryan Day, who has no business being under job security pressure, but there's competitive pressure there. I have been having fun with this because a lot of people, especially when we get out of spring and we get towards preview season, they are going to put Ryan Day on the hot seat, which is ludicrous. Uh, They are going to talk about what he better do this year. He better beat Michigan. He better uh, play for or win the Big Ten championship, better go to the playoff. So they'll they'll make the playoff this year. I have very little doubt about that. Uh, My question with the others, though, is what if they don't beat Michigan? Like, let's say they don't. They don't beat Michigan. They don't beat Oregon. They go 10-2. They make the playoff as a wild card. They don't go to the Big Ten title game even. What? What are you going to do? You going to fire him? Is that your answer? You really going to fire him? I don't think you would. I think if you operated with that logic as an athletic director, you probably wouldn't be an AD for long. Um, so it's hard to win, man. It's really hard to win. Having said that, the expectation should be for them to win the Big Ten championship with no more than one regular season loss and be a high seed in that playoff. That's what the expectation should be. It's possible to fail and keep your job. You know, it's possible to do that. It's possible to fall short of expectation and keep your job. So that's where we are on that front. Coaches under pressure right now. Competitive pressure, job security pressure, all kinds of different pressure out there. All right, let's roll on. Got one more thing I want to hit, and then Kirby Smart will join us for the remainder of the show. Uh, Let me take a sip from the chalice, actually. I got a dry throat right now. Appreciate everyone being tuned in. Uh, make sure you do one thing, and that is subscribe to the podcast or subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Spring questions all over the place. For instance, at Texas, do you realize they're replacing all their pass catchers? They do at Texas. Do you realize it nationally? A.D. Mitchell, gone. Xavier Worthy, gone. Jordan Whittington, gone. Jatavian Sanders, gone. They've brought guys in. They brought Isaiah Bond in from Alabama, the tight end, Nye Black from Alabama, Uh, They brought Golden in from Houston. Silas Bolden, they brought in from Oregon State. They've brought in replacements. They better hit on them. They better hit on them. Or all this talk about Quinn Ewers in Sark's offense, multiple-year starter now, will fall short of expectation because they don't have it. They don't have the juice at wide receiver tight end. So that's part one that we're watching in spring. Part two, what's the level of their D-line, specifically interior guys? Because I'm watching combine coverage. 
and I'm watching Tavondre Sweat move way faster than someone weighing 365 pounds should move. Byron Murphy's also gone now, and they were tough to run on in part because of those guys. And you just you know those guys don't grow on trees. If they do, Texas gets about the best of them. But what are they at pass catcher and on the interior of their defensive line? That's what I'll watch. This is not, by the way, supposed to be a segment where we were questioning or negatively speculating. This is what God made spring football for, as Meemaw would say. What about Miami? How good are they going to be on the back end of their defense? Miami's losing both safeties. Those were the number two and three tacklers on their team this past year. Cam Kitchens was first-team All-American back-to-back years or first-team All-ACC back-to-back years. They're losing four DBs overall. Okay, they went at that position really hard in the transfer portal. They've got to hit. Uh, this is a theme, obviously, throughout spring. They, they better have hit at that position. And also, just the young talent in general. We saw Malagoa last year. We saw Reuben Bain last year. they got to have another crop of those young guys, those freshmen, step up and play. And then the ones who didn't immediately pop from the 2023 class have to pop. Because their, their starting 22 has to be majority comprised of the 23 and 24 classes this year. It, it's got to be that way for them to achieve at the level they want to. Let's go to Lubbock, Texas. And we wait, 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 wait. Okay, we're, it just takes a while to get to Lubbock. So they're losing four or five offensive linemen. They're losing seven offensive linemen who have made starts. They portaled three of them in there with 20-plus starts. So, again, fingers crossed, got to have those be hits. And also their defensive line only returns two guys who have started games. And those guys have just started – I think one game apiece, Jesse. So line of scrimmage by 10 miles will be the biggest question that we have for Texas Tech. Yet again, spring, hopeful, spring, developmental. Let's get things figured out in spring so we don't have to figure it out in week three. Notre Dame, show me what you're going to be at offensive tackle. Joe Alt, gone. Blake Fisher, gone. Those guys started, it feels like, about a million games at Notre Dame, they also, everyone's going to talk about tackles, so I'm not skipping over that, but everyone's going to talk about that. Do they have better talent at wide receiver now? Because a lot of people are going to talk about Riley Leonard transferring in there, and I am too, but who's he throwing the ball to? How much protection will he have? That goes to say for every quarterback in the country, but especially for him. And lastly, you just watched Washington play for a national championship. I did too. Not this Washington, because it's brand new. Same logo, same helmet, same stadium, brand new team. Brand new coaching staff. They lost 21 of 22 starters. Uh, Will Rogers is up there at quarterback now. You remember him from Mississippi State. It's about as close to seeing a brand new team created as you'll see. They are 130th in returning production. So I don't even know that I want to single out a position group. I just want to look at Washington in spring. Jed Fish is the coach up there now. He's got his staff in place. They're going to have their way of doing things. What is that? What is that? Does it look like Arizona 2.0? Does he inherit a different skill set at quarterback and therefore have to be different this year? I would imagine probably yes, but that's about as well as I can do for you. I don't know what it's going to look like. So those are the spring questions. Okay, uh, two things right quick. First off, I need to talk to you about these odds that we just shared earlier because, I mean, that, that is courtesy of FanDuel. That is literally, guys, we need conference championship odds. Hurry it up. Can't drag your feet. And they said, okay, open the oven. Here you go. Voila, conference championship odds. Well, those weren't cosmetic. You can go bet. If you want to go bet 
SMU at plus 1,600 odds to win the ACC right now, I mean, I would argue just have a responsible rest of your Thursday night, and if you wake up tomorrow morning still feeling that way, go ahead. That's my version of responsible betting. Don't be betting anything on SMU in February on Thursday that you wouldn't bet on Friday. But those odds are all there. That market is open. Do you, do you realize what the 1997 version of you would have thought if all these years later you could actually bet the upcoming season in February? It's wild times. And FanDuel is the place to go exclusive odds provider of the show. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Georgia, as you know, is the odds-on favorite to win the national championship, but also to win the SEC. So, Colin, here's a good end point for the individual clip. The Pate State Speaker Series is back. We went down to Athens, Georgia, spent the day down at Georgia yesterday. Great access given to us by Kirby Smart and his staff. We always appreciate it, always feel at home there. He gave us 25 or 30 good minutes here. There's a lot of college football-centric stuff with some drill down on Georgia, so I'll waste no more time. Here is Kirby Smart, head coach at Georgia. I want to take you back to Atlanta, Georgia, a couple of years ago, SEC Media Days. You're first up at the podium, which is probably the most enviable spot. You get there early. You agree to do the show. You show up 730, (laughs) 735, 740, and I no-showed. And we haven't spoken about it publicly since then. Your thoughts that day in the moment? Where the hell is this guy at? Yeah. You know, uh, I was – uh, I was just thinking I'd watched your show many times before and had a lot of respect for it. And, uh, <laughs> Don't say did, it. Don't finish did, the sentence. Did, didn't, uh, didn't know where you were, but I do know Atlanta's a great city. And I, I, I know that there's a lot of places you can go to enjoy yourself. And um, I know you were close to home. So I'm sure you had a good time that night and uh, you had your reasons. But we've all done it before. We've overslept or whatever's come, come of it. I didn't, I didn't think much of it anyway. Your speculation is a lot better than the real story. So I'm going to stick with your <laughs> speculation about what actually happened. So we're sitting here. It's February. Uh, we're recording in the middle of the day right now. So you're in the middle of a work day. Yep. Uh, what's going on around Georgia football in February? <laughs> well, it's supposed to be the quiet time. I know every coach that uh, I talk to in college football is like, man, I can't wait till February because February is the dead period. So you get to spend a lot of time with your team. And if you said, you polled coaches and said, when do you feel like you're truly 
just a coach and you get to like invest in your current roster and your players, I would say it's February. But uniquely, we've had uh, a couple changes. You know, we had a coach go to the NFL and we had a coach, uh, Coach McGee, who we love dearly here, have an opportunity to go to Georgia State. So we're dealing with a little bit of turnover. We got some new guys in here and uh, we're trying to onboard them and uh, we're trying to finalize kind of what we're doing with our players each day. That thing you just said, that onboarding word, like we're all familiar with it, but I'm familiar with it because I work at CBS Sports. Someone may work down in Columbus in the Aflac Tower, but in football, you guys got spring ball right around the corner, and you got a national championship you're going to try and compete for, and you don't want people learning on the fly. You want them up to speed. So what does onboarding in Athens, Georgia actually look like? Well, it's, uh, we dump a ton on them. The first thing we do when we hire a coach is uh, get them all the names and numbers of their current players and their parents and try to get them to reach out to their players so they can get to know them. That's very, you know, it's a very volatile time in college football, so the kids on the roster want to know who their new coach is. So that's the first thing you do is take care of home. What's important now is an acronym we have here, W-I-N. What's important now is get to know your players, get to know the prospects at your position. Okay, what about the offense? We're in the middle of installation. We're, going, we're doing walkthroughs each day. So what do you know about the offense? How fast can you learn it? How fast can you learn about the guys at your position in 2025, uh, 2026? So. It's a like drinking water through a fire hose for those new coaches. But we have tremendous support staff here. We got a great coordinators to onboard each one. We haven't had to deal with a lot of uh, a turnover. So when you get somebody new, you welcome them in the family and you onboard them. You take them through and say, this is how we do things at Georgia. That's normal stuff. You deal with that every year. Um, you recruit every year. Like there's a lot of stuff that's on your calendar. You can write it in Sharpie. You're going to do it every year. Yeah. Then there's a lot of other stuff that you write it in pencil because it may change or some stuff that's just popping up for the first time right now. At what point during the typical year do you have time to zoom out a little bit, look 50,000 feet, reassess me as a coach, reassess my staff, and you're going to do your evals. But also like if there's a 30-degree philosophical change that needs to happen in these walls to yeah. continue competing the way you want to compete – when do you have time to do that? Who do you talk to? Where do you go for inspiration? Well, uh, every year we try to take a look back. And as soon as our season's over, which this year was the, you know, the Orange Bowl against Florida State, we come back in and we try to look retrospectively because it's on our mind. So I have both coordinators and, and guys beneath them that are aspiring to be coordinators to write up. What would you have done differently this year? I'm talking about week to week. I'm not saying I'd call this on third down or that on third down. I'm talking about like how organizationally can we do it better? How can we save time? Did we spend too much time on short yards goal line? Did we spend too much time on maybe second long? Like where can we invest and do it better? That's important to do then because it's fresh on your mind. And then as the year goes, you're in recruiting, you're starting to recruit juniors, you actually take a little break, believe it or not. I mean, we tried to have a different staff schedule this year. I talked to a lot of head coaches and said, what are you doing with your staff during this time post-signing date? So post-February signing date, we did the defense is all out. They're on break for a week. The offense runs the office. Then we flip it. Hmm. Defense is in, offense is out. Okay, then we all come in together and have a good week, and then we have spring break. So we're trying to retain our coaches by not – just wearing them out because from August until really February, whatever it was, third, there's not a day that you're not working during that time. Let's talk about this burnout thing. Uh, Two years ago, you guys beat Bama for the title in Indy. The next morning, uh, Reese Davis is in this seat. You're sitting across from him and you do the next morning ESPN national interview. And I think it kind of raised some eyebrows when you took that moment, which could just be used to market your program, and you talked about coaching burnout. And it was it wasn't the first time I'd ever heard anyone mention it, but it was the first time I saw someone take that platform sure. and mention it. 
okay, well now everyone's talking about it. And it's almost gotten to the point where it's this big chorus and now folks are pushing back saying, folks are whining too much. Those guys get paid a lot of money. Like what are they whining for? So um, to me, I mean, if it's the right point, it's the right point. I don't care if you're a trillionaire, billionaire, or you got $5 in your pocket, but zoom in a little bit for me. Mm -hmm. All right, since then, has it gotten better or worse? And what specifically are the issues that are faced right now? Yeah, that's a deep question, Josh. I mean, has it gotten better or worse? Things have gotten better in some areas. Things have gotten worse in some areas. I'm not here to complain uh, as a person that makes a lot of money in this business, uh, as a person who's had a chance to reach out and touch a lot of lives. I don't believe in uh, whining and crying, but I do believe in doing things the best way possible. And I think every person listening to this, every person in our organization, every person in our state, they have a belief, they have an opinion. And a lot of people have different opinions of the right things, right ways to do things. I give Nick a lot of credit. Nick was very impactful for my career, but every meeting I ever sat in with him on his staff or as a head coach in the SEC for eight years where we shared seats and shared ideas, he was always in pursuit of what was best for the student athletes. And that doesn't mean necessarily best means highest paid, uh, most money. It's overall what's going to allow somebody to have more success in the rest of their life. And that is such a fine line and such a gray area that you ask the question is what is better and what is worse. In some ways, our calendar's worse. December has become a little bit of a nightmare. And that's not a complaint because I love hard work. Like I grind, I am into the, the doing it better than the other team. But it's almost uh, unimaginable what we ask some people to do. For instance, we're asking kids that are getting ready to play for a national championship against TCU and Alabama to sign a piece of paper saying that they're not coming back next year so that we can bring in a mid-year. You know, like, like this kid's been here and we know he's going out for the, for the NFL draft and he's a senior and his eligibility's up, but he needs to be worried about the game. But no, we can't bring in a mid-year without removing someone else. So it's called a voluntary withdrawal. They're required to sign it. That, 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 it's very tough environments like that that you're roster managing and you're having to do, do things that you're like, well, why, why, why does this matter right now? Like this, this is not the most important thing. But every team's in a different spot. So it makes it very challenging. But I, I can't sit here and say that it's perfect. Uh, and I think there's some ways to make it better. Um, but there's some things that are just change inevitable and change is inevitable and it makes it harder. I, we, we, so we're blessed enough and we get to be in places like this. And yeah. I, I just wish sometimes I could pluck some folks like the old grab claw machine mm -hmm. and drop them in here. Like you said, it's not resistance to hard work. Right. It, I mean, you could feel it pulsate all throughout this mm -hmm. building. I mean, folks would work 25 hours here if they could. Um, and it's not necessarily when I say that carrying water for coaches and whatnot, but I just understand because I talked to enough of you guys that there is – there, there are only so many hours in a day. And, yeah. and there's a functional way that things should operate. And what I've heard from you on and off the record, what I've heard from a lot of other guys on and off the record is, we don't need you to lighten our burden. No. What we need you to do is make it make sense a little bit more, I guess yeah. is what you're trying to say. Yeah, I think that's exactly what I'm trying to uh, For me, I think every coach that we meet with and talk about, they would just like to know, and I don't think this is asking much for the people at home, for the people out there and the fans, and really the parents of the players and the players, they'd like to know, who's on their roster and who's not. And if you could just know who's on your roster for that year, I think we could live with that. I think it's really hard going into a, a, a spring or an off-season program to go grind, and you don't even know for sure who's going to be on your roster. If you could tell me 
I got this guy for 365 days, and then that guy has an opportunity to go anywhere he wants to go. And at this point, even multiple times, I think every coach could live with that. That's not the complaint. The issue is not knowing who's on your roster and who's not for long periods of time. That's tough. That makes it hard to develop a team, to develop toughness, to develop a roster, and to be honest with you, for the players to become the best players they can be. I can't tell you how many kids I've seen go through the psychological, uh, uh, the toughest thing for them is trying to figure out, should I be here or should I be there? And they're worried about that instead of like worry about where you are. Yeah. Like get better, and you you think about that all the time. That weighs on your that weighs on your your ability to be a good student, to be a good person, to be a good football player, because they always think the grass is greener on the other side. You mentioned Coach Saban a second ago. Oh. Where were you when you heard about him retiring? Like, what did you immediately think? I didn't believe it immediately. I, I think I got a text uh, from somebody because we were here. I was here at the office, so uh, we had been working all that day. And um, of course, it was at a, a, a different time. I think they they had some job openings. They had had some coaches leave, so they were going through some th some things. We were going through some things, looking for coaches and talking to guys and things like that. And I got a text, and um, I was like, Nah, I don't, <laughs> I don't believe that. I've heard that before. You know that rumor. Um, kind of came out of uh, left field a little bit in terms of the timing of it and, and when it came. But when it came, it came fast. I think he, he felt very comfortable in his decision once he made it. And uh, he left a, a major impact on this sport we know. I've heard you talk a lot about your relationship with him. I've heard you talk a lot about your perspective with him. What I'm interested with you in now is even if he's still active, he's active from a different chair. It's not a head yeah. coach's chair anymore. And there's a ton of oxygen that his voice used to take up in the room yeah. that's just in the room now. And it's really hard to do your job, really hard to be a head football coach. Then there's the added burden that some folks want you to accept of maybe being a face of the sport and being one of the preemptive voices in the sport. And when there's a 50,000-foot problem, they want to know what Kirby Smart thinks about it. What do you think about that? Is that something you embrace? Does it go with the territory? Are you resistant to it? How do you feel about that? First of all, I'll... I don't want to be seen as the face of college football because I don't think that's the case. I don't think anybody, I think Nick was that and will continue to be uh, a voice that people should listen to. First of all, he's extremely intelligent. He's smart. He understands all the problems we have as head coaches, and he wants what's best for the players. I mean, I work for the guy and know that that's what he really wants um, for the players. I, I don't think that, that that's some kind of spot that's just inherited or given to anybody. You earn that. He earned that through time. I'm not where uh, he was, but I certainly think that I embrace the fact that I want to help the game. Look, this sport has been really good to me in my life. I grew up a high school coach's son. Football was good to my family. I'm, I'm in college now. Football's been good to my family. Football is good for young men to play. They grow. I've seen kids get opportunities they would have never gotten before uh, in terms of academics and meeting people and becoming successful without the game of football. So I want to help the game of football. If that means I'm vocal or uh, a spokesperson for some something I believe in, then I, I'm going to stand up for that when I do. Do you feel like a young head coach? you feel like a veteran? Because mm -hmm. I didn't even realize, I was looking at the numbers on the back wall. There's a part of me that feels like you just got to Georgia a couple of years ago and you're entering year nine. That's, yeah. that's almost a decade. According to Stats and Info, that's almost a decade. And... Um, it's like that. To me, in my mind, yeah. it's like that. How does it feel to you? I'm in the middle. I definitely don't feel young anymore. Uh, as we hire younger coaches and I'm around players, I, I definitely don't feel young anymore, but I don't feel old either. So I'm calling it uh, a neutral 48 sitting in the middle, you know, where uh, it's either, you know, 
off, keep going from here and, and ascend and keep rising and, and keep loving it. Um, or you're looking at the other side of it as uh, I've only been doing it eight, nine years. How much more time do you have? But I certainly think that I'm somewhere in the middle. That's a good answer in the living room, too. That's right. I, I would imagine that works very well. Uh, we were talking about recruiting before we started recording, and you were talking about recruiting Harris County, yep. recruiting West Central Georgia back in the sure day, did. and still do it now. Yep. And um, look, I love Hunter's Pub. It's a little, little hole-in-the-wall <laughs> restaurant. You got to give a little yeah, drop in there. <laughs> off 185, and they haven't necessarily paid to sponsor the show. Uh, they pay me in sauce. That's how they pay me. But you were talking about dropping in there back sure when you did. used to be at Bama, and you recruit down there. Um, 15 seconds or less. How legit is that place? Legit. My favorite places to go. Hole in the wall. Everybody knows your name. You feel like you're walking into Cheers. I've had many <laughs> a good uh, steak there. And it's exactly that. I would see people that were out hunting and they would be passing through either on the way or coming back. And uh, it is a hole in the wall, but it is a special place. And one I remember well because I was a young coach that liked to stop by those dives. Awesome stuff. Um, probably go there when I get home now. <laughs> so right now, all the talk in college football seems to be off the field, yeah. which I hate, but I have to participate in it as well. So whether it be a court case somewhere that uh, looks like it overturns the NCAA to a certain extent, or whether it's changes in NIL or the way the portal is going to be handled, new recruiting calendar. As you and I sit right. here and talk, we've gotten reporting about that today. Do you ever feel like you have solid footing under you and you fully know the structure of the sport you coach? I probably feel there's times that I felt extremely solid footing. I understand the calendar. I understand the dynamic. I know when it's tough. I know when it's not. I know when I got to pick it up. Right now, <laughs> it's it's a little bit all over the place, and we're in a little bit of limbo because we're in a rule change year, and there's a lot of uh, things changing fast in college football. Whether that's the future of our signing date, January December, future of the portal, uh, the number of opportunities to transfer, uh, what's going on with NIL, whether it's outside or inside your universities, there is a lot going on fast. So to feel like you're on firm footing, all you know right now is you better be able to adjust and adapt quickly. And uh, I think as coaches, that's what's made it tough. I'm not crying or whining about it. I just know I got to do it better than the guys that I compete with. And whoever does it best and has a really good culture in-house, they're going to keep the majority of their good players. And that's how you win. I mean, look, Michigan won a national championship last year. And I think about it, somebody told me the number of players they had that were 22 years or older and the number of seniors they had that had been retained on their roster. That ha you, know, you have success for those reasons. Yeah. And those guys play well in big moments. And that was big for them. You guys go to the SEC championship game last year. You fall to Alabama. You're going for three in a row, and that was the talk around the program. Internally, I would assume it's just week-to-week, day-to-day. Um, sometimes in the past, and you've even been on teams sometimes in the past at different places where team falls short of expectation, then months afterwards you start to hear rumblings about complacency being an issue here, and this was an issue there. Now, I'm not inside the walls every day like you, but I was around you guys a fair amount last year. I didn't really sense that. I mean, sometimes the ball doesn't bounce your way. Sure. I didn't really sense that. Did you guys have any issue with that last year, or was it just not your year? No, I, don't, I, don't, I thought we had really good leadership. We built a great culture of leadership. Um, we may not have been as talented as the previous two years. Um, we also had uh, games that we got away with maybe not playing our best in, in one. I mean, one I think of is Ohio State. You know, we didn't play our best game against Ohio State, but we won. 
um, and we did not play our best game against Alabama, and we didn't win. And there's things you can point to in each each and every game, especially close games. It boils down to so many things that you give Alabama a lot of credit for that game, and, and, and they beat us uh, outright. But I don't think it was anything wrong inherently with the team. It was not a lot of difference in that team and the year before's team. They just happened to win every game, and this one lost one. So you guys circle up. You guys do skull sessions here, yeah. which you've, you've been pretty vocal about. I yeah. know you believe in it. I was talking to – We'll keep the name anonymous. I was talking to somebody at a program um, where there's been staff churn recently. And someone who has survived the couple of staffs there said, you know what we probably lacked? We lacked that stuff Kirby does at Georgia. That skull stuff. That's what he (laughs) called it, the skull stuff. And he talked about it, and he talked about a construction site. He said there's a difference in dropping off the pallets of brick and wood in the morning versus that becoming a house. And there there are a lot of connectivity that has to happen with those materials, which you would call culture. And you guys have a really rock solid one here. Did you always do that, or did you, did you kind of evolve your way into thinking, this is how we need to go about culture building here? Yeah, we, we, I think culture's always been important here, and I think we've had good culture here always. But after the COVID year, after the uh, win against Cincinnati, we made some significant changes within the program, and uh, that kicked off the first national championship run. Now, it just so happens when we kicked that off, we also had maybe the most talented team we've ever had, you know, that had all the first-rounders we won a national championship with. And then the next year, we carried that over. And then we next year, we carried that over into uh, last year's. And now we're carrying it over into a fourth year. And I'm very uh, sensitive to saying, are we doing this just to do it? Or what are we tweaking to make it different? Because some of the kids in the room, first year it was the first year it was done for everybody. Second year, there was guys in two years going through school sessions. Then last year, there were some guys in their third year. Now I'm into the fourth year, and I think we got 10 players that have done four years of school sessions. So for 50% of the team, it's new. For 50% of the team, it's old. Well, it's just as important for both 50s. And we spend a lot of time, we invest a lot of time as coaches, and I think that's the only way you can really have good culture is have your players buy into that and believe it. So we don't provide it lip service. We, we, we provide it time. We take time out of our football, our walkthroughs, our workouts to just get to know each other. And that connectedness is what's kind of made a difference for us. How much of the job of head coach could you never prepare for until you are a head coach? Oh, 80% of it. I mean – the media. You don't prepare for that till you do it. You can say you're going to go talk to them as an assistant, but it's not the same. The decisions, the phone calls you get when somebody gets in trouble, um, the, the, the who you're going to take at this running back or that running back, this receiver or that receiver, uh, the, the, the rehiring and hiring of coaches. I mean, the support staff hiring. Uh, all these things that come up every year, I mean, I'm going to say 80 to 90 percent of it, you never do until you're a head coach. So you can't practice that. You have to go through it and do it. Now, the coaching part didn't change. The coaching defense, special teams, and offense, that didn't change from becoming a head coach, but the rest of it did. How much of behind the curtain were you able to see working under Coach Saban all those years versus how much of it did you find out the hard way and look back and say, he was doing all this? Like he was dealing with this and that? I had no clue this was going to come at me. Yeah, I, I didn't see behind the curtain much, but, I, I mean, he lets you behind the curtain by being part of his staff because he's very uh, – Hey, guys, I want to talk about this. What do we think is the best way to do it? So he, he, he allowed input. Uh, uh, it was a democracy in, in the fact that he would take votes, but it, it was not in the sense that he was going to – dictatorship, he was going to decide what we did. And I always appreciated that. I like getting information to make decisions. So that part you kind of got to see under him. But I was so uh, focused on what I was in charge of, being where my feet were. I was focused on the defense. That's the only part. So like I said, probably 80, 90 percent of those things you you experience, you experience for the first time as a head coach. And you get better as you uh, incur those situations. 
We're about to watch Brock Bowers uh, go through the combine process, go through the NFL draft process. Uh, how rare a player is he? Mm. Uh, generational. I mean, I don't know how to say it any other way. I don't know if I'll coach another guy quite like that. I mean, he he's just different. I mean, just big, physical, fast, smart. Uh, no moments too big for him. I mean, he's going to make somebody a really good player. He's a high-character kid. And, and um, I, I just don't think – we, I don't think I will see a kid like that at that position the rest of the time I coach because I haven't thus far. You know, all the, all the years I've coached, I've never seen one quite like that. Are you ever – I mean, you've got to be shocked when you have a guy who comes in and he's 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, but he's got the mind of like a 50-year-old yeah. veteran who's lived life. I don't, I don't know what it is about even DNA that makes someone like that because that's neck-up stuff. You don't, you don't build that in a weight room. Like – is is that to you probably the rarest commodity is not so much the physical specimen nature but mentally how advanced a guy like that is it's the combination but yeah the 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 the, the mental advancement he came in with his ability to walk into a Clemson game his first ever game and go out there and make plays like the moment wasn't too big for him uh that, that you don't see that every day that is rare but the talent's very rare too I mean I have a lot of mature kids who aren't as talented as he is you know so he's he's off the spectrum on both those we're about to open spring ball um you focused on everything but if you had to circle two or three things that are i asked you this i I just got a flashback i asked you this media days i'm going to ask you again the two or three things that have your attention the most as spring ball opens would be what depth Depth at all positions, like like, can we create offensive and defensive line depth? So when I look across football, the game's changing. Less big guys are playing. There's less. I mean, every NFL scout that comes in here says we can't find offensive linemen. We can't find offensive linemen. Well, that's what we do here. We recruit offensive linemen. We get big guys and we develop them. Defensive linemen. There's just less of them. There's less big people. So we want to establish depth at both those positions, and we got a lot of young guys in here at those two positions. Um, outside the building. Mm-hmm. outside of football so let's just take the the quarter zip off for a second you're just Kirby smart um, what are you doing for fun right now you watching anything you listening to anything yeah uh, shoot man I don't have any time um, my, my fun is going to watch my kids sports I watched my my daughter play JV tennis yesterday and uh, I had a blast getting to watch her play uh, JV tennis and then my, my oldest son plays uh, high school tennis I get to go watch him play uh, and then my youngest is playing baseball so like my free time literally goes to that. Now we are getting ready to go on spring break. We're going to go on a trip, uh, get out of the country, and go hang out with just us five for five or six days. That's always my favorite time of the year because it's just our immediate family, and we go get to uh, be around each other and hopefully turn some cell phones off. Awesome, Kirby Smart. We appreciate. Thank you, man. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 
1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.